Hey everyone, and welcome to Questions. I'm with Pastor Joel. How's it going? It's an honor for me to be here. <laughs> it is an honor. The yeah. honor, the honor is all yours. It is, yeah, all mine. <laughs> uh, no, but Pastor Joel is the pastor of the Response Church. For those that were wondering, here in Southern California, in San Diego. So if you're looking for a church in San Diego, we'd love to have Come you check out. Check us out. We'd love yeah. to have you. But we got a question in from Patricia today. Uh, she asked Pastor Joel. She says, in First Timothy four ten, Paul says that God is, quote, the savior of all people, especially those who believe, end quote. On the surface, this verse seems to be promoting some form of universalism. So how can we interpret this verse faithfully? Thank you, Patricia. Um, what would you say to her? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, it, it, on the surface, you're absolutely right. The, w- the way you phrase the question is great. So on the, on the surface, it does appear as though this particular verse is at, advocating for some a form of universalism that everyone is going to be saved because Jesus is the savior of all people. So let me, let me read the verse again. So it's first Timothy chapter four, verse 10 uh, in its context. It says for to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the savior of all people. The living God is the savior of all people, comma, especially those who believe. Now, the language in this verse is difficult because it's basically saying that that God is the Savior of all people, but in a special sense, in in a greater sense, in a unique sense, he is the Savior of those who believe, those who believe in the person work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, um, so, so making that subset, using the language that creates that subset of those who believe, and the implication being those who believe in Jesus, um, is, is what makes the verse difficult. Because uh, there's a lot of verses that we find in the New Testament, at least a few, that use that all kind of language. Um, but it's really uh, fairly straightforward, fairly simple for us just to look at those verses and say, well, God is speaking uh, in terms of all um, followers of Jesus or all of the elect or all of his people. Um, and so, uh, but this is difficult. This is difficult because, um, the all, uh, uh, target subject is, is being distinguished from, um, the, the subset of the all, which is those who believe those who believe in Jesus. So it's basically God is the savior of all people and in any other context, we'd very easily be able to say that it's just implicit. He's the savior of all people, implicitly those who believe in Jesus. But this says he's the savior of all people, especially those who believe in Jesus. Subset, right? A smaller subset of the whole. So God is the savior of not just all Christians, but in this text, it seems to be saying God is the savior of all people, each and every individual, even those who do not believe, but he is in a special and a greater and a more ultimate sense, the savior of those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So a um, couple things. So Calvin, John Calvin, 16th century uh, French theologian, Calvin argued that um, the that God is the savior of all people in his common grace. So we have God's special grace and his common grace. The special grace uh, is God's saving grace. Um, It is God's grace toward the elect. It is his eternal grace um, that he would justify, sanctify, glorify. And so we have the special grace of God that is reserved only for his children, for the elect. Um, But we have God's common grace 
for all people, even unbelievers. Um, and, and God's common grace is simply uh, the fact that unbelievers who in their hearts are hardened toward God, they, they don't love him, they don't serve him, they don't worship him. And yet, in God's common grace, even for them, he is causing their heart even now to beat within their chest. He is uh, filling their lungs with uh, breath. He is uh, providing them with food to eat. Uh, we see in Ecclesiastes, God calls, causes it to rain on both uh, the wicked and the righteous. So, so rain comes and nourishes the crops so that people have food to eat. And God does this not only for the elect, not only for his people, but for all people. And so um, God in his common grace, um, I believe what the text is saying is that in God's common grace, he is the savior of all people. Uh, but he is especially, that is, he is particularly, um, ultimately, the eternal Savior of only those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what that's what Calvin argued. Um, looking at uh, other texts, so um, think of the parable that Jesus told about the wheat and the tares, just to kind of give an illustration of how God can, in his common grace, be the Savior of all, but in his special grace, be um, the eternal Savior of um, those who believe in Christ. So in this particular parable, the wheat and the tares, um, a master owns a plot of land. He owns a field and he sows good seed. And in the middle of the night, while the master is sleeping, an enemy of the master comes and sows bad seed. And as time goes by, the servants, they, they notice that there are tares, weeds, W-E-E-D-S, weeds, uh, growing up among the wheat and tares, just practically speaking, bear striking resemblance to wheat. And so it's difficult to, to tell the difference between wheat and tares, at least in the early stages. Now, eventually the wheat is going to have kernels of grain. The wheat is going to be fruitful. The tares will be fruitless. The tares will produce nothing. They will yield nothing because they're weeds. Um, but but the wheat will, will produce grain. And so eventually... Um, it's very easy to tell the difference between wheat and tares, but but in those early stages, wheat and tares look fairly similar. And so, um, so the 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 good seed that the master sowed is growing. The wheat is growing, and it's beginning to produce grain. But it but it's not time for the harvest yet. Um, and and so, uh, but even now, in, in these premature stages, the servants of the master are able to discern. They're able to to detect that there are. are um, not wheat, but weeds, tares that have been sown by an enemy in this field. They go to the master. Like, Didn't you sow good seed? And the master, yes, I sowed good seed. Well, then an enemy must have sowed bad seed because there's bad plants. There's bad. Um, there, there are weeds. There are there are tares growing up. And so the servants say, you know, shouldn't we go into the field and begin to pull up, uproot uh, the tares? And the master specifically says no. And, and he says, and the reason why is because uh, lest in pulling up the tares, uprooting the tares, you damage or harm the wheat also. And he says, so, so wait, rather, until the time of the harvest, till the very end. And then we can go and uproot all of the plants in the field, and we can separate the wheat from the tares, the wheat to be stored within my barn, and the tares to be bundled up and burned in the fire. And, uh, and and the disciples asked Jesus, you know, what, what is the interpretation? What's the meaning of the parable? And he says that, you know, the workers who go into the field are, are the angels um, at, at the end of days who will go and harvest. 
um, and that, that the fire is the lake of fire. It's hell, and that, um, and that the barn is 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 that's the Lord's the Lord's barn. It's it's heaven. The wheat represents Christians, the elect, and the tares represent unbelievers, non-Christians, the non-elect. And so, um, basically, the moral of the story is this: God sustains tares for the sake of the wheat. And so there is a sense, going back to the verse, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. Our God is the Savior of all people, especially those who believe. And it is absolutely biblical and sound and true and, and, and genuine. There's no, there's no, it's not a bait and switch. It's not disingenuous language. It's not deceptive. This is the word of God. It's right. It's fair. It's true. So it is absolutely true to say that God is the Savior of all people, even non-Christians, even unbelievers, even those who will never become believers, the non-elect, who, who eventually will, uh, who will eventually suffer consciously in hell forever, eternally. God is even their Savior. He's not their eternal Savior. He's not ultimately their Savior uh, in his, his special grace, but in his common grace, he is the Savior, even of the non-elect, in the sense that he is sparing them for a time. People who hate God, who will never bow their knee to God, um, at least not in joy, at least not willingly. Every knee will eventually bow by force, but, but those who never willingly and joyfully bow their knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, those who never love God, never worship him, never seek to obey him or honor him or glorify him, those who will spill, spend eternity in hell still on this earth, in this life, under God's common grace, experience 60, 70, 80, 90 years of breath in their lungs, a beating heart, good food, companionship with other image bearers, other people, um, many people who hate God and who will spend eternity in hell, and yet they had the privilege of marriage, and they, they had the immense blessing that it is to uh, for God to give them the gift of children, and, uh, and, and the privilege that it is to get to be a mother or a father, a parent, um, a friend, a daughter, a son, uh, you know, a brother, a sister, all, all these kinds of things. I mean, there, there are people who hate God who are going to eat nice steak dinners tonight. People who hate God who will get to experience the blessing and pleasure of sexual intimacy with their spouse tonight. People who hate God who will get to um, hold and cherish a, a small child in their lap. Um, their child that God gave to them. Children are a blessing. Um, why? How? Because God is saving them. Not ultimately, not eternally, but in his common grace, that is, in a sense, salvation. And and why, though? The question is why? For the sake of the wheat. For the sake of the wheat. God, in his mercy, does not go into his field, that is, the earth, and uproot the tares, that is, the non-elect, who will never who will never come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and love him. God does not send his workers into his field to uproot the tares until it's time for the harvest, strictly for the purpose of protecting, salvaging, sparing the wheat. If God were to come and uproot the tares today, uh, it would have a harmful negative effect on the wheat. 
God uses tares for the wheat. Non-believers, the non-elect, um, God uses them to sanctify us, to challenge us. God, God uses them uh, even in things like persecution. Christians are formed and shaped more and more into the image of Jesus Christ, God's Son, uh, because there are people that hate God that dwell among us, who persecute us, who push on us, who, who, uh, who challenge us, and many times in wicked and unfair ways, and yet it, it is to our benefit. It, it helps the weak grow stronger. Uh, another, one more illustration, biblical illustration, would be the salt. Right? Jesus is that we're, we're the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither should we, we put our light under um, a bushel, under a basket. Um, but we should let our light shine before men so that they would see our good deeds and praise our Father who is in heaven. So Christians are light. Uh, but Jesus says that Christians, Christians are also salt. And uh, salt has many purposes, many uses. Um, one is that salt, salt is used as a preservative. Salt is used to, um, especially in, in first century Palestine, you know, that salt is used to preserve meat and things like that before refriger refrigeration. Um, so salt can be used to pr preserve um, certain goods, certain foods. Um, but salt is also used, of course, as, as a spice. Um, salt is used to give things flavor. And so you can have a meal set before you that for the most part is bland, um, is undesirable, unpleasurable, mediocre. Uh, and yet salt can spice it up, if you will, in such a way that it makes the meal, uh, if not pleasurable, at least tolerable. Well, Christians are salt in many, many ways, but that's at least one way. I'm not saying that's exclusively what Jesus has in mind in this particular uh, teaching, but, but I think that that is at least something that Jesus has in mind. Christians are salt. At, at, at least, maybe not exhaustively, not exclusively, but at least in the sense that Christians make this world tolerable to God. I think of Abraham, Lot, the city of Sodom. Abraham says, he talks to God from a hundred people, a hundred righteous in the city of Sodom. God says, I'm going to destroy the city. And Abraham talks him all the way down. But if there were just 10 righteous people, wouldn't, wouldn't you spare the whole city? All those tares, wouldn't you spare the whole city for the sake of 10 stalks of wheat? 10 righteous? And God says, yes. No, there weren't 10, so Lot has to get out of there and God destroys the city. But, but the point is, um, if there were no Christians on the planet today, and there were no elect, those that God intends to save to become Christians on the earth today, God would destroy the earth. The earth would not be tolerable. One of the things that makes the earth tolerable to God is the fact that this mediocre meal, meal that this unpleasurable, unpleasant meal that is fallen humanity in our sin is tolerable to God as a whole because there's salt, because there are the redeemed. Because there are Christians, not by our own will, not by our own moral goodness, but by the grace of God and the grace of God alone, he has chosen to save some. And those some, that salt, those stalks of wheat make the whole tolerable. And God is choosing in his kindness, in his long suffering, in his common grace, in his common grace to tolerate, not eternally, but for a time, temporarily, he is choosing to tolerate that which is not salt, 
that which is not wheat, those tares that he intends to ultimately destroy, he is willing to tolerate, to spare, or we could say, in a very real sense, save. God is willing to save all people in a secondary sense for the sake of those who he is saving, that is, believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, in a primary sense. So God is the Savior of all people, but especially those who believe. God is, that is, God in his long-suffering, in his common grace, in his kindness and, and mercy and patience, God is sparing for a time all people. And he is giving good gifts, not, not the eternal good gift of salvation, but, but good temporary gifts in this life to all people even as enemies who do not deserve it for 60, 70, 80, 90 years. So God is, is, is being benevolent and long-suffering and patient and kind, giving good gifts and sparing, or we could say saving, in a sense, saving all people. But he's only truly saving, eternally saving those who put their hope and trust and faith in Jesus Christ and all the rest. He is saving in a temporal sense, and he is saving them temporally precisely because of the elect. God is sparing the tares for a time, saving the tares temporarily because of his benevolent desire to save the wheat eternally. Well, thank you, Pastor Joel, for answering that complex question. And thank you, for Patricia, for sending that in. We really value uh, your questions. If you're watching us on any of our social media platforms, please write us in the comment section. We'd love to get to one of your questions in future episodes. And check us out at rightresponseministries.com. we got tons of content on our website there. And we'll see you next time on questions. Thanks for tuning in to Right Response Ministries. As a reminder, all of our resources should only be used as a supplement and not a substitute for the local church. Be sure to check out our website, rightresponseministries.com, or download our free app. There you can find out how to join our team by supporting us monthly as a responder. As a responder, you will receive a Soli Deo Gloria t-shirt and a physical copy of Pastor Joel's book, Am I Truly Saved? Also, you'll receive an ongoing 10% discount on all items in the store, as well as access to free digital copies of all current and future books in the store. Thank you for your generous support.